Hello and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 4, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Ferrari was the favourite heading into the fourth edition of the Baku Street Race. It was favourite heading into qualifying as well. Yet Mercedes locked out the front row and recorded a record-breaking fourth 1-2 finish to open the season. But the German mark had to work for its win, and despite the same old result, had it not been for a few key events, the Azerbaijan weekend could have ended very differently. So to help dissect how it all went so wrong for Ferrari in a tense Azerbaijan Grand Prix, I'm joined by Autosport Grand Prix editor and host of the Autosport podcast, Ed Straw. Ed, how are you doing? Yeah, great. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. Looking forward to digging into the details of the race. It's the commentator's curse, I suppose. So many people expected Azerbaijan to be pretty much a race of crashes and safety cars after the last two Grand Prix were pretty much that. It's not what we got this time around. And I think it's interesting that we might point to the fact that the lack of practice time may well have contributed to this. Ordinarily, we say a lack of practice time usually creates really chaotic uh, and unpredictable racing. Is this the first case in Formula One in recent times, anyway, where a lack of practice could well have contributed to a fairly tense but not particularly dramatic race? Potentially, yeah. It meant that teams weren't so sure what they could do with the tyres, how they would perform. The long running on Friday afternoon wasn't really worthy of the name. Some teams were doing very (laughs) short long runs, so they they didn't really get on top of how the softs were going to behave, how the mediums were going to behave. They were relying a little bit more on historic data and also what they did on those short runs. So yeah, it created perhaps a little bit more caution, shall we say, where nobody really knew what they were what they were getting into. And, and whether that played a part in the uh, the lack of chaos, uh, it, it's it's hard to say. Because of course, the first Baku race in 2016 was was lambasted by everyone for being very very dull. So sometimes you get what's the saying they they have in the states? It's that cautions breed cautions, isn't mm. it? And sometimes if you don't get that initial incident that starts to get people out of sequence and bunch people up, you don't get that cascade effect as it were. And we'll actually touch on that a little bit later because the virtual safety car kind of hinted at that and does sort of explain how previous races had that caution breeds caution effect. Uh, But let's sort of start back with why this race became such a difficult one to judge for so many teams. Yes, there was a lack of practice time, but this track is quite unusual as well to sort of wrap your head around in terms of car setup. Uh, we saw in that limited practice time, particularly between Friday and then into Saturday, teams really trying to adjust and fine-tune the downforce levels because it's really such a difficult thing to do here given that it's kind of a, a super speedway crossed with a traditional street circuit, which is not something we have in Formula 1. Yeah, exactly. It is an unusual one. You've got that two-kilometre drag from the last real corner all the way down to the first corner, which is obviously a nightmare for tyre temperatures, so you arrive at turn one without the heat in the tyres. It's, it's interesting that the, the circuit for the past few years was a very much a low drag circuit so low downforce and it still is but the balance seems to have shifted a little bit and we saw Ferrari initially going quite well running a little bit more wing a little bit more rear wing than perhaps some of the others and that seemed to work really well we saw them trading off perhaps some of that big straight line advantage in order to be quick in the middle sector and they were really quick in the middle sector on Friday although the the balance changed as it went on we saw Renault struggling because they just didn't bring enough bring enough wing with them (laughs) basically they did a few things overnight from Friday to try and improve things but they were struggling because of that so yeah the the dials had had moved a little bit in terms of of what 
you needed. The key was for for everyone was making the tyres work, though. That this has been a big topic this year. The thinner gauge tyres, you have to work them harder in order to get the temperature into them. Some teams fare better than others, and we did see the clear pattern of those who've worked quite well with the tyres doing well and those who've struggled so far this year struggling big time. Tyre warm-up is such a critical factor in this Grand Prix because as you touched on it it's more than two kilometres of flat out running towards the end of the track gives the tyres a huge opportunity to cool down and the combination of the the changed gauge and the different tyre selections this season combined with those change in aero rules largely around the front of the car but in generally knocking on elsewhere have really changed the game in a way perhaps not so many expected coming into this season certainly the teams would have had an idea given they're designing the cars after all but what seems on the surface fairly small changes have resulted in some fairly dramatic rethinkings and i think toto wolf said after the race or after qualifying that so much of the learnings they've had in the last couple of years have been thrown out and in many respects it's kind of like they've started again in azerbaijan which explains perhaps why we had a similar race to the one we had the first time we came here yeah absolutely right i think the assumptions that underpin the decisions and the 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 drag to downforce the the efficiency balance you go for are carried over from the past and then you get there and discover things are a little bit mm. different obviously these these cars have got have got bigger wings so there's more drag and it just changes that that equation and obviously the the drs effect then becomes bigger proportionally so you get more benefit from that and obviously you've got the toes to to factor in and and it does seem that the, the way to lap time seems to be to run a little bit more drag and downforce than than was in the past and it, it's it's great that these things happen to, to throw curveballs at teams, particularly at a stage in the season where they're still, to an extent, feeling the way with their cars. They don't all entirely know how how they respond. So, yeah, that that uh, that mixed things up a bit, and also allowed to see this this big shift in the the relative pace of the of the top three as the weekend progressed. Because obviously, after practice, everyone was expecting Ferrari to be all the way in in qualifying and and get on the front row. And that shift was so dramatic. And I think it's absolutely critical to to touch on, as you sort of did there, that it's still relatively early in the season. No one has a 100% grasp of their car yet, or certainly when they start Friday practice, everything's still a little bit loose and you still got to figure out how exactly to extract the most from your car. The swing between Friday and Sunday, though, was enormous, even considering that this track is pretty weird. And I think people were starting to get angry online because Mercedes was so pessimistic on Friday, and even just before qualifying, Toto Wolff pretty much wrote them off as a chance for pole, and then lo and behold, they, they get the top two. How much does this speak to the Mercedes team, the race team in particular, that they can come and, and be quite a way off the pace on Friday and then really nail Ferrari by Sunday. Yeah, I think Mercedes is a razor-sharp race team. Now, they're very, very good trackside at working through the car at chasing the conditions. I think it, it, there's a little bit more to it than that as well because even even in Saturday practice in the one-hour free practice session, the Ferraris look quick and look to have a big advantage. We were always expecting Mercedes to be closer, but not necessarily to uh, to suddenly be in a position to, to lock out the, the front row. But it it's interesting in terms of the way that qualifying worked. There were several areas where Ferrari didn't put their best foot forward and Mercedes did the best that they could. So when you're at a track like this with a, with a big drag, a big toe effect as well, for example, a, you know, a decent toe will get you two or three tenths over a lap. A mega toe, for example, the one that Pierre Gasly got in Q1 off Lance Stroll can get you half a second. So when you've got your, your qualifying order covered by such a, a small amount at the front, 
the way you execute the session, the way you position your cars and make sure you get the most out of it is essential. And on top of that, you have the, the element of chasing the conditions. And it, it's very, very clear that Mercedes has got a car that is happier across a broader range of conditions than the Ferrari is, which does seem to have slightly higher peaks potentially, but it's very difficult to access those peaks. And it seems to be when it's warmer that they, that they do better. And as qualifying went on, and of course qualifying was almost two hours with the two lengthy red flags, track temperature dropped and, and Ferrari just seemed to struggle more and more to get the tyres switched on. Well, let's talk about that marathon qualifying that we had. Like you said, two hours more or less, when it's normally only one hour, uh, the first red flag was caused by Robert Kubica at turn eight, which really just compounded a pretty terrible weekend for Williams. But it's ironic that as qualifying went on longer and into the early evening, I suppose, the sun started to get low and everything cooled down, that it was a red flag caused by Charles Leclerc that in many respects undid Ferrari in Q3, or at least contributed to their undoing, we should say. Uh, this was a really surprising or happening, really, because Leclerc was the four-man going into qualifying. It almost felt like it was a done deal even before he started. And fingers are beginning to be pointed at that idea that they were running the medium tyre in Q2 when he crashed. We even saw Vettel come close to crashing at Turn 8 as well. Was it too big a risk, do you think, for Ferrari to try and start on that tyre? No one else really had the inclination to. And is it too much to say that that was perhaps directly contributing to what ended up being the complete unravelling of Ferrari's weekend. Yeah, I think you have to say say it was. Leclerc has to take responsibility for the crash, and he did. But as he put it, he basically breaks at the same point he would have done on the softs for turn eight. Obviously, there's no room to escape there unless you commit early to the escape ride. So that led to him hitting the wall. The fact that Vettel in that same corner had that moment where he where he kissed the inside wall with the, with the left rear, which could have led to two Ferraris being being out if it had been a little bit more extreme, mm. says that, yeah, they were they were probably pushing a little bit too hard to get the pace out of the mediums. The irony, of course, was that the clerk had already done a time that was good enough for, for uh, Q3 based on the, what he'd done on that time. I mean, had the red flag not interrupted it, perhaps the pace would have picked up uh, more and he may not have gone through. So he did still need to press on. But yeah, I think it played a part. And I, I don't really know even with how good a race tire the medium was which was slightly unexpected i don't really see the benefit you would have got from starting on, on the mediums they they wanted to use a set of mediums at some stage in qualifying uh they could have well have used it in q1 got rid of it and then just focused on the soft and then drivers wouldn't have had to recalibrate and i don't really see what benefit they'd have they'd have gained from from starting on the mediums if you look at the race of those with free tire choice Basically, nobody relevant, shall we say, <laughs> went on the went went on the mediums for the start. You saw the two Williamses do it. Has split their strategy because they were struggling. So why not split the strategy? Because you've you've got to try something. But we didn't see many people who had free choice go for it. So yeah, I, I, that puzzled a lot of people in the in the the paddock. And even though the medium was a good race tire, I don't think it would really have helped to have to have started on it. So yeah, it it, well, it wasn't good from good from Ferrari, but. Ultimately, on another day, Leclerc doesn't doesn't crash. They both get through, and maybe we say, "Well, that's 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 all right." You know, maybe it would have uh, played out for them. It is a strange decision for those reasons, but uh, in some senses, Ferrari sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't, in a sense, because I mean, they're trying to do something different to Mercedes in an effort to to beat a car that's similar pace. But then, I suppose you can ask if they're so confident about their own pace after practice. And, and in other situations throughout this season, why do they feel a need to, to take these kind of risks that ultimately cost them so dearly? Yeah, it's strange. Uh, we have seen them at times strategically do things that are a little bit different almost for the sake of it sometimes, should we say. We've seen on occasions they've, in races, attacked cars ahead 
that are much quicker that they can't really do anything about and in doing so put themselves in harm's way to cars behind. We've seen that with, with Verstappen a few times recently. I think if you look at it, the Ferrari the Ferrari was quick and even though that practice advantage wasn't there in qualifying, with a good toe, that makes that makes all the difference. So both cars were firmly in the fight for 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 pole position and had they had poles and pole and front row and started on the softs they could have controlled the race we saw from Vettel how good the race pace was there he was very much up there with the Mercedes certainly once they were on the mediums so clearly Ferrari weren't that happy on the softs maybe not that confident but that's all the more reason perhaps to start on it mm. get rid of it a little bit earlier and then and then go through uh, on the mediums because as we saw in the race Leclerc obviously with a disadvantage of starting ninth didn't really make the, the the starting on medium strategy work, even though it did put him in, a, in an interesting position at some stages in in the race. So yeah, I just think Ferrari just need to play it sharper. And of course, we saw that as well in Q3 mm-hmm. when Mercedes pulled over both cars, having gone out the pits to do what were nominally, notionally practice starts. Of course, they were nothing of the sort. It was a dummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Vettel had to go past in a few others. And then Vettel thought, all right, well, I haven't got so. But they were in this position where Ferrari had to work so hard on the outlap to work the tyres that Vettel thought, well, if I just back off and wait for someone and we all start messing about, <laughs> nobody wanting to go first, he just started the lap with no tyre temperatures. So, uh, yeah, that put Ferrari in a, in a difficult position. Vettel ended up qualifying with with no toe and uh, yeah, that effectively eliminated any chance you have of getting on the front row. And it was definitely on because neither Mercedes driver did a did a great lap really mm. in in qualifying. Bottas strung together a decent one, but it it wasn't perfect. And in fact, Hamilton, after a poor first sector, had basically got back ahead of Bottas by the last corner, but. Hamilton got a bit out of shape and uh, and and lost a bit a load of time in the last corner and on the drag to the to the line. So it was all to play for. But I think this was a session that was there for those who executed qualifying really well. Sometimes you have sessions. In fact, most of the sessions you have a car pace, you know what it is, and you you do the job. And we saw that in in Shanghai, for example, where it's kind of two by two on the grid. But I think there was much more scope here in Azerbaijan for a sharp race team well executed strategy do everything right to to make the difference between being fifth on the grid or first and that absolutely was demonstrated in that dummy practice start the double whammy Toto Wolf described it as Ferrari already with one driver missing and then that happened and Sebastian Vettel unable to get the benefit of the toe as a little bit of an aside because that was a I mean it was quite clever I suppose really wasn't it and I seem to remember I think it was in MotoGP Jorge Lorenzo used to hate when people would follow him out because he had that consistency and people would get the toe on certain tracks and that would happen. Do you think, I mean, we don't have so many circuits in Formula 1 where the toe's a huge factor. Maybe we might have a little bit more towards that direction now that these cars are, are more draggy and there's slightly more benefit. But I suppose Austria coming up is one of them. There are a couple of others. Monza is always a famous one. Is there going to be more playing around in Q3 in these final runs, do you think? Is there more scope now for teams trying to to mess with each other's heads? Well, definitely, because well, Monza's going to be the really extreme one. We get there and everybody's going to have in their mind <laughs> what Mercedes did. So it's going to turn into this great, uh, great battle. And of course, we saw in, in Shanghai when you run the clock down, mm. how, mu- how much of a risk it can be. And if you start getting people looking at each other and tripping over each other and getting in the way and not wanting to go, you can uh, you can cause uh, some problems. And that, I guess, is why Vettel decided just to, just to crack on with things. And in fact, we also 
saw as an aside for Stappen because he only had one set of softs, having uh, had to use two sets of softs in Q1 after a, a lockup and then having to go again. But they decided at Red Bull, rather than putting him out in the final flurry, because he only had one run, they put him out off sequence, kind of between the two orthodox runs. So he had a clear track and was able just to go out make sure he got the car where it should have been uh, on the grid, sacrifice the chance of a mega toe and, and doing something more special, but just keeping it simple, shall we say, mm. which is uh, probably quite a good decision in, in that respect. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think we will see this chaos and people will remember that, remember that trick. I don't know whether people will be calling for, look, let's not allow practice starts in, in qualifying to stop people doing that. Mm-hmm. But then again, there's nothing to stop you going out and just backing off because we saw uh, Giovinazzi and Norris, if memory serves, who were actually ahead of Vettel. They both mm. almost backed off to, yeah. a, to a stop on that outlap and Vettel had to go past them. So yeah, fun and games, isn't it? It's great, <laughs> isn't it? Because we, we talk about how annoying it is that all the cars line up in pace order. So when you have all these variables and things where you might call racing savvy come into it in mm-hmm. qualifying, it'll it'll mix up grids and it just makes it more interesting. And sometimes it does pay to know all of the articles in the regulations and exactly where you can uh, pull things and where you can't. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch that over the course of the season. We get to the race, though, and Mercedes had the opportunity to, to break the record, four consecutive one-two finishes to start the season, uh, which ultimately did come to pass. Uh, almost was undone for Valtteri Bottas, though, at the start. Some really fair racing between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas for the first couple of turns. And then Bottas was able to control the pace from there. But it wasn't long after the start that teams started to realize that this soft tire they'd started on, which, as you sort of said before, almost all of them chose to start on, even those with free tire choice, was nowhere near as good as they thought it would have been. Um, the conditions were a little bit different in the race. The race started earlier than in qualifying, was a little bit warmer. Track, con- uh, track temperatures were also a little bit warmer. But this really speaks to that idea that there was not very much long-run practice time. No one really had a, a great grasp on the tyres. And suddenly, within five laps... The question of what kind of race this was going to be was already being asked. Yeah, exa- exactly. And uh, I think the track temperatures played a part in it. Obviously, you've got heavy cars at the start, so you always work those tyres fairly hard. And of course, those at the front had, had qualified in Q2 on uh, on the tyres they started on as well. So yeah, it was a little bit of accelerated use in that. So yeah, we had some people encountering graining. And of course, graining, even if you clear it, will accelerate the, the degradation as well. So it just got to the point where everybody wanted to get off the uh, off the softs, and basically you had by what was it about lap fourteen when Verstappen came, and you had all the all the soft starters had uh, had come in uh, and and made the stop, leaving just a handful of, of medium runners still out there, including Leclerc. So it just shows how how surprising even it can be for Formula One teams. They have all this data they can go through and historic knowledge, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and the expectations don't always tally with with what happens, and and certainly. Losing summer practice will have will have played a, a significant a significant part in that, as well as the the changing conditions. And yeah, I, I, for the most part, they all they all responded pretty well to it, so they weren't able to do these marathon soft stints. But then, of course, it created the problem where those who'd started on the mediums wanted to extend as long as possible to avoid getting onto the softs in case they fell apart at the end. But it was interesting because as the race went on you you saw less of a, a difference between the two tyres. And in fact, some of the people that stopped later or, or put on extra sets, they didn't have prodigious pace, relatively speaking. So the conditions kind of stabilised as the race went on. It even seemed to shock Pirelli, who before the race had suggested either of the tyres could do about 25 laps. It'd be an easy one-stop, bang in the middle, which is not so unusual for street circuits where there's not a lot of high-speed uh, corners to really wear down the tyres. Uh, this is where I suppose being really reflexive paid off for some drivers. We'll get to the the battle at the front 
momentarily. And I suppose that's dictated to a degree by Mercedes of clear air, so it didn't have quite the troubles everyone else did in that tight midfield. But Daniel Kvyat was the first one to move on, on lap five, and that did start to pay dividends. It jumped him a couple of places in the midfield and was on for points part of the way through the race until... Well, the most... I mean, Baku did deliver something extremely unusual, didn't it? The way Daniel Kvyat was retired from the race by Daniel Ricciardo in a really unusual uh, coming together. Uh, but that was an example there of where being quick to think, and Kimi Raikkonen delivered on this, he stopped only one lap later, did start to pay off in, in that really tight midfield battle. Yeah, very much so. If you came in early, you, you made big gains. And in fact, Raikkonen's a great example because you can compare him with teammate Giovinazzi. Actually, Giovinazzi was... was pretty quick this weekend he was quicker than Raikkonen overall he made Q3 but he had a big penalty and again he's come out the weekend with no points but had things been differently different he'd certainly had the pace to score the points but he stopped only one lap after Raikkonen but having been several places ahead of him in the first stint suddenly he was behind and mired in traffic and that made the difference between Raikkonen being able to be 10th and, and Giovinazzi being being 12th so yeah the, the quicker you came in almost the 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 better off the better off you were so yeah you had to react and obviously it's easier to react when you're lower down the order should we say because you've got ostensibly you've, you've got less to lose mm. but yeah the Toro so Kvyat seemed to be struggling with the pace so it made sense for them to to come in but that put him in a in a good position uh, yeah, so so basically, the, those who threw out the accepted wisdom of the race and, and just got on with it were the ones who who benefited. So credit to to them for for doing that. And in that midfield mass where there's just cars everywhere, that can make a, a huge difference because it's not just cars you fall behind or end up ahead of, but the time you lose once you're in that traffic, which can add up to ten twenty seconds at the at the end of the race. Which is exactly what uh, befell Alex Elbon in this race. It looked like he was actually doing quite well in that first stint, but he got stuck behind. I think it was Daniel Ricciardo early, and then even Romain Grosjean. Uh, and you never want to stuck, be stuck behind a Haas at this point in the season, considering how poor that race face is. He didn't stop until lap 12 on those new softs, and that really cost him. He ended up missing out on a point, only by one position, but of course there were some retirements ahead of him that, that sort of ameliorated that result. Uh, but if we look towards that fight up the front, it took until lap 11 for those stops really to come when Sebastian Vettel uh, made that call. In part triggered, though, because this is where the intrigue with Charles Leclerc's strategy started to play in because he was flying. He was doing so well in that early stint, as all the medium runners were. Even Pierre Gasly was starting from the pit lane, technically starting from the pit lane three times, considering <laughs> how many penalties he's earned, uh, was flying at that point as well at a similar rate. And for a little bit there, because no one really knew what kind of race this was, it really threw strategy out the window a little bit. This could have run into two stops for all we knew at that point. Yeah, there was, there was that possibility. So it was interesting to to see to see which way it went. I mean, in the case of, shall we say, Leclerc, the, the logical thing on the mediums was to, to get out, make the use of that pace, come through. And obviously he cleared up to Verstappen very quickly by lap nine. I think he got himself up into, into fourth place and then basically forced the the pit stops ahead because Vettel's pace compared to Leclerc was so bad that they had to they realized they had to, to bring him in because just the time loss was so massive and then that triggered the Mercedes drivers pitting on the on the next two laps at Leader Bottas and then Hamilton. And then the the Ferrari strategy always had to be based on Leclerc getting up front and running long on the mediums because that gave him a, a window where he was although he was effectively fifth in the race for a for a period uh, at, at that point that had there been a virtual safety car or a safety car 
he would have been able to pit and re-emerge ahead. So there was a, a, a window of five, six laps, should we say, while that lot chased them down, where they were just hoping for that safety car intervention. And I, I don't really have a problem with the, the Ferrari strategy. Leclerc starting on mediums had to run long. That was the only thing they could do. They had to put him in a position to benefit from a safety car or VSC. They did that. He executed that. And they had to extend that stint as, as long as they could. There wasn't really anything else they could do and we saw that once he did get fresh rubber on the pace was nothing extraordinary okay the race situation meant that he didn't really need to attack so they were a little bit cautious but I, I don't really have a problem with the with the Leclerc strategy ultimately he was starting ninth and I think people look at the fact he was leading and think well he's leading and then yeah. suddenly he's nowhere and it's like well he was leading but he wasn't leading because <laughs> of the the, quali- the qualifying crash so yeah if you if you want the optimal strategy the optimal strategy is not to start ninth and lose a load of time clearing cars in the early phase of the race ultimately and this was a really good example of how strategy is formed around long-term statistics in races i know this was only the fourth azerbaijan grand prix but we had so many safety cars in the past couple of races that banking on one appearing at some point was fairly astute strategy because it was surprising by the end of the race that we got none, no safety cars at all. Because one that would have appeared, okay, based on early projections any time from the middle part of the race, but once we got into it, it needed to be later. Ultimately, it wasn't one. But that would have completely changed the complexion of the battle for the podium because had it turned up and we heard uh, Bottas and Hamilton uh, and even Max Verstappen's engineers all talking about the the safety car window and whether or not Leclerc was in it would have completely changed the complexion of that podium battle. Yeah, very, very much so. You have a a, a safety car early-ish in the, in, the, in the second stint for those on the conventional strategy and yep, Leclerc stays ahead and then later on there would have been opportunities for people to sort of put it and put on fresh rubber and then been able to attack from there. I think we heard when the virtual safety car did come out later on for, for Pierre Gasly's retirement, I think Verstappen was told, if you see the safety car, you pit, mm-hmm. because he could have, have come in, put on fresh rubber, but the virtual safety car, which mitigates a time loss, but there is a time loss compared to the safety car, about nine seconds, I think, was the was the estimate. So the virtual safety car, it wasn't worth him him pitting. And actually, I would argue that the, the VSC, when it did come, actually... Uh, actually compromised the, the race because it was actually boiling up quite nicely because mm-hmm. not only did we have Hamilton closing on Bottas, Vettel in that second stint on mediums was was strong on pace and he was starting to, to come back. Verstappen was absolutely flying and, and getting into contention. So they, they the top four were, were, were closing up and the, and the VSC actually took the wind out of the sails. They, they had to back off Verstappen because they were concerned it was a drive shaft failure that Gasly had. Mm-hmm. So they were concerned that they might have a repeat. So they turned the engine down a little bit and told him to be a little bit cautious. So his his push was kind of cooled off. And I should interrupt myself to say that the Red Bull pace was was so good. I had a look at a few stints um, from lap 16 to 39. So that's uh, when the leaders are on their, their mediums. Verstappen's done his pit stop. Verstappen was three tenths of a second faster than anyone. Mm-hmm. For for twenty four lap for twenty four laps, so he was closing on on those ones. And just to back up that Red Bull race pace, Gasly, who started on the mediums from the pit lane, once he got into clear air early on, you could compare his pace to that of Leclerc because they were the same tyres. And from lap twelve to lap thirty three, Gasly was point one seven nine seconds on average a lap faster than Gasly. So the Red Bull had really really good race pace. And actually, you go all the way back to that Q1 mistake from Verstappen. Had Verstappen had that not had that that problem, and maybe he could have got a toe in Q3. Maybe he could have started a little bit higher up. 
had he been able to somehow get track position and then hold off the the quicker cars and, and break the toe, he actually had the pace to potentially have have won this race. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and coming back to the, the safety car, yeah, we, I think we'd have been better off without it because then Verstappen would have kept pushing on. Vettel would have kept pushing on, and you could you could have seen that top four really uh, really getting tight and, and fighting out in the closing stages. And especially considering that Hamilton had really closed in on Bottas towards that end of the race until he made a, a little bit of an off and lost some momentum. But to go all the way back to the start, that virtual safety car, or to what we mentioned at the start, I should say, did really illustrate, pretend, or almost illustrated, I should say, that um, caution breeding caution idea because what we saw afterwards you know the pace slows down so much behind the virtual safety car would have been worse behind an actual safety car that that struggle the race long struggle of keeping heat in the tires really fell away because all of a sudden at that reduced pace tire temperatures went off and everyone in that last couple of laps was just about trying to refine the temperature i think sebastian vettel struggle in particular ended up finishing 10 or 12 seconds behind uh, the two leading cars as a result had there been more safety cars that we've seen in previous races, that's potentially where that chaos and unpredictability immediately afterwards comes from because everyone struggles again at this track to, to build up that tyre temperature. Yeah, and of course you've got all the cars sat on top of each mm-hmm. other, so there's just more things to, to hit for once <laughs> uh, a better world. But yeah, but it, but it did hurt Ferrari. And again, it's just this consistent picture that the Mercedes is more in the sweet spot on the tyres than Ferrari, which keeps dropping out of the window. And I actually think that's connected to what we've seen the previous two years when Mercedes has struggled with the tyres, often overworked them, whereas Ferrari was generally in the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So suddenly we've made the tyres more durable. The the thinner gauge means that, that that's designed so drivers can push more. And so suddenly you've got a car that previously, with, with that, the car with that DNA, was working the tyres nicely, is now sometimes underworking them. And a car that was sometimes overworking them is closer to the sweet spot. So yeah, uh, I, th- I think that's definitely what, what we saw with Vettel fading out of that lead battle uh, is uh, is testament to that. But the, the good thing was that we still at least had the battle for the lead between Bottas and, and Hamilton because Hamilton had been closing up and then he, he lost a little bit under the VSC and he admitted that was basically his fault. He said he was going to make some modifications to the information he gets on the dash. Mm. Obviously, under VSC, you have to stay above a certain delta in each of the the, the mini sectors, as, as they call it. Uh, but he suddenly, I think his gap went gap to Bottas went from about 2.1 seconds to three and a half or a little bit more and uh, when the VSC had restarted and sometimes you can get a little bit of luck with where you exactly where you are when the VSC is deployed or uh, uh, or cancelled but yeah that meant he just had that little bit more work to do when this when the race did get back underway again to catch and as he would have wanted to pass Bottas which he which he never did and worth uh, as a postscript to that the idea of these Pirelli tyres changing up that order a little bit it's worth noting that uh, last season when for the few races Pirelli did bring thinner gauge tyres the Spanish Grand Prix was the first uh, Ferrari didn't really like them at all last year um, and they knew they were coming for this year at some point so interesting that they haven't managed to perhaps get completely on top of them but to go back to Charles Leclerc for just a moment considering that yes he did qualify poorly as a result of the crash uh, didn't have the greatest start but was able to make up positions but nonetheless Less was certainly, uh, I suppose, logically aiming for those the bottom two positions of the top six, so fifth and sixth. But considering that the race was in a weird grey area in the middle because everyone was trying to play a bit conservative, not knowing exactly how it was going to pan out, is there not a reason to think or to expect the Ferrari could have tried something a little bit more aggressive here, something out of a little bit left field, given that 
as Leclerc's final pit stop, an additional pit stop showed when he had a crack at the fastest lap, which he got, there was enough of a buffer for if that aggressive strategy went wrong, he probably wouldn't have lost out very much anyway. Yeah, I mean, there was the, there was a chance to, to take that option. Uh, I, I guess they probably looked at it as they could have gone for the fastest lap point fairly easily anyway. So the difference between fourth and fifth is only, only one point suddenly. I think I look at it and I, I don't really see where where Leclerc could have made up the pace because we didn't really see people later in the race when they when they made stops really making up massive massive ground certainly not after that that first phase where uh once people got off the softs and and uh we started to see people undercutting people and, and that kind of thing so the, the deltas weren't massive so I think with the pace there was it's hard to see where Leclerc well, the clerk could have gone really. I think it's uh, that the race ultimately stood or fall on the timing of the safety cars, which just didn't didn't fall for him. And that sort of does sort of summarise how we ended up with the Azerbaijan Grand Prix that we did. I guess the expectation after a lack of practice was that the tyres might last a long time, but then again, they didn't end up doing it. And safety car interventions, which so many drivers may well have been banking on didn't eventuate so we got this tense race we didn't get an action-packed race but we got a tense race where you felt like at any lap something could have happened and all we really ended up getting was a gasly drive shaft failure which you know on the scale of things isn't so great but it made a little it caused a little bit of interest and certainly delivered us a uh, a curious fourth chapter in this championship that feels like it's now really escaping Ferrari at this point. Yeah, very, very much so. And I think to come back to the point you made earlier about how strong a team Mercedes is, Mercedes aced it. Ultimately, you can make an argument that any one of the Mercedes, Ferrari or Red Bull drivers with a fair wind and a, a perfectly executed weekend could could have won. They all had good pace at one time or another. Yet Mercedes comes out of it uh, first and second and Bottas comes out ahead. But it's one of those races actually it's it's ideal for this for this podcast because although it wasn't ostensibly a thriller there was mm. all these little tiny moments that added up to making a, a huge difference to the results and in fact we had one of those right at the end of the race because when hamilton was catching bottas the 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 last chance or the key chance was always like to be the end of the penultimate lap on the long drag down to turn 1 so there's hamilton a second behind bottas bottas under a bit of pressure and then suddenly there's george russell <laughs> Giving Bot- giving Bottas that slipstream and giving Bottas the DRS, so suddenly that gap goes from a second to one point five seconds advantage for Bottas by the first corner, uh, and and suddenly you're, you're you're there, and it's just all these these tiny things because you could argue, let's say with George Russell, had he not had the uh, the drain impact that we saw on Friday that led to FP one being being abandoned. Mm-hmm. You know, would would he have been a little bit further up the road because he'd a bit more, been a bit more on top of the car and not been exactly there? Would he been further back? So. This confluence of so many different factors made the selection as to as to who was who was going to win. In the end, it was uh, it was Valtteri Bottas, but it could easily have been Vettel, Leclerc, Hamilton, and you know Verstappen. I, I think the Red Bulls would have probably struggled to retain track position if they got it. But the prodigious pace showed that if they got it and a tiny break, they could have uh, they could have held on to it. And Gasly, who's actually now more on top of the Red Bull, had he not had 370 pit lane start penalties, <laughs> the first the first of which he got on Friday for, for missing the wavage, which was his own fault ultimately, you know, maybe he could have been uh, been in contention. So a race of a race of what ifs, and even if all these things we hoped for didn't eventuate, it's fascinating to think what would have happened if any one of these dozens of sliding door moments had been that little bit different. Yeah, it was chaos theory. We didn't get chaos on track, but I suppose chaos theory in action. And finally, Ed, we head to the Spanish Grand Prix next, which of course was the location of preseason testing. The spectre of preseason testing has really hung over the first four races in the sense that 
the expectation has been that Ferrari's car is quick, if not the quickest car, but for a variety of reasons, and maybe the most significant, as we saw in Baku, was that Mercedes is just so on it as a racing team that it's really difficult to pull one over them. If in Spain, is, is Spain the test, I suppose, is the real question here. If we get to the Spanish Grand Prix and we see again Mercedes pretty much cinching it one way or another, is this now the time where we start to consider actually... This is just a, another Mercedes dominant year. Well, it's it's getting that way, isn't it? And and Ferrari has to hit the ground running in Spain and, and show the pace that that it's got. And I'm not sure they know exactly how to get the best out of the tires. Obviously, the way you the way you work the tires is is related to all sorts of things. It's not just a function of how much downforce you have. It's also a function of uh, your suspension geometries, the way you load up the tires, etc. So. Yeah, if, if Mercedes go to Spain and win, then it's uh, it's a crushing situation, isn't it? The interesting thing is, again, Bahrain, Ferrari should have had a 1-2. That would have changed the complexion of things. So we saw in Bahrain the peak of the car, strong performance, and we saw hints of it in, in Baku. Uh, they could have won in Baku with, with, a, with a, a fair wind as, as well. So that would change things if it was two races apiece. But yeah, Ferrari have got to go back to Barcelona. They've got... Uh, use the fact they've got lots of experience in there. Admittedly, it'll have been in cooler conditions in pre-season testing to make sure they get the tyres working as well as they can and, and extract the the pace from the car. And they were really quick in, in pre-season testing in the faster corners. And in fact, they have been times this season in the faster corners. The Ferrari's been very, very strong. So perhaps that will that will help them. But yeah, it, it's... I mean, we always said coming to Baku, Ferrari needed to win <laughs> to make a fight of it. But the, the other thing is that it's not just car pace having an advantage having the points advantage makes everything easier Mm. because you you can be a little bit more conservative when it's appropriate to be you don't have to feel you have to be attacking and take gambles and so many times historically we've seen those that have fallen behind even if they do have a faster car because they have to play catch up because they have to push because they have to take the punts while the the team that's up front can just be calm, cool, collected, and say, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll let this play out. If we finish second, we finish second. They don't have to overreach. And yeah, history shows that having that advantage is a great position to be in, even if you don't have the the pace. So yeah, Ferrari Ferrari needs needs to get to Spain and 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 to deliver and show that they've got on top of understanding how to get the best from the tires. Otherwise. They're just going to disappear in the in the rearview mirror. It's a very interesting season. I think we've got in our hands. The question is perhaps how long it remains interesting. I hope it remains interesting for as long as possible, as I think everybody does. The Azerbaijan Grand Prix, a small microcosm of that. It was interesting, at least at the end of the race. It was a pleasure to look back on it with you, Ed. No, thanks very much. It's been interesting to, to have a look at. Like I say, it's great to get your, get your teeth into these these races that don't look like they're quite as interesting, but there's actually so much detail in there to really uh, really get get into and think. Well, what 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 if? What if? That was Autosport Grand Prix editor Ed Straw. You can hear more of Ed on the Autosport podcast at autosport.com slash podcast. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. You can download the 2019 edition of Apex Race Manager for free on iOS and Android devices. And you can also stay up to date with the Strategy Report by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. My name's Michael Laminato. You can look me up at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for an analysis of the Spanish Grand Prix.